You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Good morning, listeners. I'm Julie Broadway, president at the American Horse Council. And I'm Megan Arsman, communications and marketing for the American Horse Council. And you are listening to the special monthly edition of the American Horse Council episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 19th, 2023, episode five. Good morning, morning, horse horse world. It's time to hear from the American Horse Council in this monthly episode of Horses in the Morning. So, Megan, get us started. What we got on the agenda for today? Well, Julie, it's crazy to think that we're already in the middle of September. And September is a really big month for us at the American Horse Council as we are wrapping up one of the largest endeavors the council ever does on a five-year basis. But it's actually the largest we've ever done, and that's the Equine Economic Impact Survey. The survey wraps up on September 29th, and if you've been following the American Horse Council on social media, you've seen posts about our survey and you've seen multiple links from some of our media partners. But Julie, there have been an influx of um, equine industry surveys being promoted lately, and it's been crazy to try to keep everything straight for some horse owners and everybody involved in the industry, right? It certainly has. I've owned horses for over 40 years, and I can tell you, when I was just a casual horse owner and had an entirely different career, I didn't even understand what a national economic impact study was or why it was important, much less understand that the USDA ag census is different than the NOM study, than all these other things. There must be at least six or eight different surveys floating around out there right now. And we recently posted, so go to our website and read a news article about all the differences in these surveys we're doing. But this National Economic Impact Study is one of the most important things our industry does. And we only do it every five years. And I think this round is, you know, what the right word is, but is more important than ever Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we just got through this pandemic and we're really curious to see where the industry is. Um, Everybody thought when we went into the pandemic, things were going to sort of contract like we saw in the last recession. That didn't turn out to be the case. Um, And so lots of lots of factors go into this. Um, So the reasons we do this survey is because we really use it to create awareness about the industry itself. It helps um, forge relationships including those with media and congressional members so they get a better understanding of the breadth and the depth of the industry. It helps identify partners and supporters, people we want to collaborate with and build relationships with. Um, I know that we get tons of phone calls, Megan, from um, venture capitalists and other people who want to invest in our industry, and they're trying to see how big the target audience is and what the market is. And they want to use this data to help them understand what the potential sales opportunities are for new products that they might want to bring into the market. Um, So there's just tons and tons of uses for this. And I'm talking at the national level, but we're going to be talking to some people today in this episode that are at the state level because they turn around and take all this data and look at it from a state perspective and use it in their state houses, talking to people about um, various uh, issues or uh, development, uh, new venues that they want to build or improvements they want to make on trails and all those those things. But it all starts with being a data-driven group. You know, they want to understand. And I jokingly say to people all the time, when they look at how many horse owners there are in their state and how many horses in in people who are in the political world uh, and making these important decisions, they turn that into how many constituents and how many voters mm-hmm. they have and how it's going to affect them mm-hmm. to get reelected or get elected. So this data becomes just so, so important. Oh, true. Numbers run the world, whether it's money or data or anything else. And the, so the survey has been a vital piece of information for many horse groups in the past. And at our um, National Issues Forum this summer, we heard a story come out of Florida about how they were able to use their stats from the 2017 edition of the Equine Economic Impact Survey survey to save some farms. So we're going to hear more about that from Lonnie Powell. And so without further ado, how about we dig in, Julie, shall we? Certainly. Let's get going. Lonnie Powell has been the CEO and Executive Vice President of the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association for almost 12 years. 
In his role, he is responsible for promoting, protecting, and enhancing the economic, political, public, and industry affairs of the breeders and Florida-bred owners and farms. He celebrates a lifelong involvement in the horse industry and was awarded the 2022 American Horse Council Van Ness Award. Lonnie was recently appointed as a member of the Jockey Club of Saudi America Technical Committee and is a past vice chair of the American Quarter Horse Association's Racing Council. Lonnie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here with the American Horse Council. I know you have such a crazy busy schedule. And so thanks so much for making time for us. As we were getting ready to interview you, I pulled a few stats and I'm hoping you'll kind of help me out here. So in the last economic impact study, I had Florida had 387,000 horses, the third largest state in horse population in the country. And just for fun, I pulled up the square miles in the state of Florida and I did the math. And did you know Florida has six horses per square mile? It's amazing. And if you actually condensed it down and looked just at Marion County, it's about double that number of horses per square mile. So Florida is a horse state, horse state, horse state. Oh, that's so great. Now, a couple of things our listeners may not also know about Florida is according to my research, uh, Florida contributed $6.8 billion to the Florida economy annually. And you have 71 horse rescues, woohoo, uh, mm-hmm. in Florida. And you have three universities that offer equine-related programs. And so that's a big deal. Um, It's amazing your statistics there. Tell us why you think doing a national economic impact study is so valuable and so important, Lonnie. How do you guys use it? Well, we use it in a a number of ways. And I, I, I have to start out by saying whether you're going to use it for advocacy, which I think is the primary objective or stakeholder education, or or just public relations and awareness, it's not an option to have an economic impact study. It's an absolute required tool in the toolbox. And if you're going to be involved in an economic impact study involving horses, the credibility of the American Horse Council brand and the independent approach to how these studies are done uh, makes it extremely valuable. So from my end, whether it's dealing with legislatures or whether it's uh, dealing with media or even educating our own membership, uh, one of the primary tools that's always a go-to for us is the American Horse Council Economic Impact Study. So Lonnie, help me translate that to John Q. Horse Owner, because yeah. you you said big words, advocacy. Everybody goes, oh, cool. mm-hmm. that's your job. You know, I don't have anything to do with that. And they talk about economic impact and they, they well, I don't know, I don't do anything in the business development world. But if I'm John Q. Horse Owner, why do I care about this study? If you are involved in horses in any way, either directly as an owner or a farm owner or tangentially as uh, somebody that works in a service industry that services equines or a, a, a merchandise industry, or even if you just love the farmland in your community, you need to care about telling your story. And that's from uh, the single horse owner person with a horse in the backyard to a thousand horse farm. Um, our story on what horses do both economically and, and sociologically Uh, for the good of the community and for the people is a way of investing and promoting and keeping horses a viable industry and sport and pastime for the future years ahead. We can never stop telling the story. And to me, the economic impact study is ground zero from every place else we go, at least here in Florida, as the Florida thoroughbred beaters. That's how we approach everything we do. I can give you examples if you'd like. Oh, I'd uh, love some. Please do. Okay. Okay, so here's, here's, some, here's some real examples that affected everybody from uh, the largest of farms to uh, somebody with a pony uh, competing in Pony Club of America uh, competitions. Is uh, One of the times that it was used was um, when uh, the state government was looking at routes for what was called a coastal connector, a major uh, highway type of system, uh, toll type of system, and one of the options had it going right through the heart of horse country. Now, the economic impact study alone doesn't help you win or doesn't let you lose any fights. 
It's how you use it, and it's always about the people behind it. But it was a key tool. It's visually, it tells a story. And when we went up to meet with um, um, the uh, head of transportation and met with the head of agriculture and met with the governor's people, um, I never go to Tallahassee without a little laminated card that has a summary of what the economic impact study means nationally and to Florida. And we know those economics uh, really got the attention of the people that were going to just develop that land. And obviously we were successful, I might add, that same day of that visit on at least eliminating that route. Um, it, to save our industry, this would be for saving the thoroughbred industry in 2021. Uh, the casinos and, uh, to a certain extent, uh, the tracks um, were flirting with having no live racing required and they could all keep their slot machines, which would have been devastating to the thoroughbred industry. Mm -hmm. um, it already happened to the harness and quarter horse industry. The thing is, if the thoroughbred industry goes down in Florida, the rest of the horse industry doesn't have much of a leg to stand on. We doubled down. We told our economic uh, story. We used that same economic impact study. We were the only uh, we were the only thoroughbred stakeholder in Florida to oppose, and we prevailed. Uh, and um, the president of the Senate at the time is now our commissioner of agriculture, Wilton Simpson, and he can tell you how important that economic impact study done. Then let's talk about a really good thing. I'm talking about defense, kind of like let's talk about offense. Uh, we took the ball and ran with some offense this year. And we took the economic impact study by now, by the way, um, legislators are quoting the economic impact study back to us. That's when you know you've been successful because we've uh, this study and the study before, uh, we use them yearly. So uh, we felt that story was in awfully solid. And I know it was a, a big plank in us being able to successfully secure over two years, over $60 million dollars in state funding that wasn't attached to a machine. It wasn't anything. It was economic development funds for breeders awards for purses and uh, a major shot in the arm for Florida. I That's amazing. Say, I would say could not have happened without the economic impact study. So there's a few examples. And you guys are just so good at, I, I, you know, you guys are really good at putting together infographics and everything kind of showing that stuff. you, you are, I, you know, I see it on LinkedIn. I see it on on, on the socials and everything. Um, the Florida Thoroughbred Owners and Breeders Association. You guys are really good about being your best advocate, advocate, and being your best teammate and everything. And I think that is so important. And and on it's very and it's refreshing and it's really important for others to see and other states to kind of follow because it it is important. It does start with you and it does start, you know, from the ground level of your local governments and up to your state governments and then the national governments. So I, I appreciate everything that you guys have have done and and it's amazing that you guys use the survey so well and so thoroughly. Well, thank you very much. And I, I might add, I can't emphasize enough, the fact that a well-done economic impact study, especially if it has credibility, it breaks down visually very nicely into, uh, into a presentation. And those of you that follow my social media that you're referring to, uh, mine is LinkedIn primarily. Um, it's a wonderful presentation. It doesn't, you can understand it quickly for legislative staff. Um, it means a lot. And, um, you know, our media, we have a media company, Florida Equine Communications. Um, it is it is fueled off the economic impact study. So, you know, if we didn't have the tool from the American Horse Council, we couldn't be doing the job. So it's a symbiotic relationship. And as as we discussed at the last national conference, if you're going to be in the horse industry, there's absolutely no reason to not belong to the American Horse Council, that is in your best interest. And if you're involved in the American Horse Council or your local horse council or whatever it is, don't be passive. Mm -hmm. You got to get involved. You got to step up. Sometimes you even got to spend money. And But you're doing that to protect your future, your animal's future, and another generation to enjoy what we enjoy now. I, I get pretty amped up about this, but to me – yeah, just like that economic impact study, if that's what you do as an association or a horse group, and yet you don't put the people skills behind it and the relationship skills behind it and know how to use it correctly, all it is is one more piece of paper that a lot of people won't read. 
you've got to deliver, you've got to present, you've got to live it, you got to understand it. And boy, we live and breathe the economic impact study. So, Lonnie, I'm really excited. You know, we've been talking a little bit about the 2017 study and how you used it. So we're doing the new study this year and we have created, I've lost count, Megan, I think we've created 20 specialty surveys that we're Mm -hmm. doing this time. So there's going to be all kinds of facts and figures that we didn't even have last time. And I think Florida's really going to benefit from that. I drilled down really hard this time on the polo world because we didn't have any of that last time, which you guys have got a lot of in Florida. It's huge. Uh, yeah, and so we're we're drilling down in those areas. We're dealing, drilling down in um, and academia, which we're going to talk to a, uh, another person shortly about that. Um, but lots and lots of new facts and figures that are going to come out uh, this time around that I think will really help tell that story that you're talking about. So I, tell me a minute, because we're doing something this time that we haven't done before. We're yeah. doing what I thought called three community studies. So this is drilling down even further further, lower than the state level. And Florida chose, you're going to do a community study on Marion County. Why Marion County? What's so important about Marion County? Very, very good question. Um, You know, and by the way, I don't know if it necessarily works for all jurisdictions, but but for those jurisdictions like Florida that has uh, geographically has horses concentrated in certain areas, those areas where horses are concentrated become an economic uh, engine themselves within an economic uh, engine. So for, in the case of Florida, Marion County um, is as the single most uh, equines of all breeds in one county in America. That's a lot of concentration of horses. Um, two out of four of those horses are a thoroughbred, very important uh, to my specific breed, but we're still all about horses all the time, no matter what the breed when it comes to a lot of this stuff. So um, from, from our end, it was how can we tell our story as a statewide association, but also tell it locally in a part of the state where the farms are concentrated, the horse population is concentrated, and then these horses feed out to other places like Wellington, Miami, Tampa, the Panhandle, what have you. In Marion County, we we knew there was a story to tell knowing we had that many horses. So by drilling down, we're able to not only use the main study proper for the state legislators. And I don't deal much with Congress anymore, but if we have any congressional things, that's what we got good people like the horse council and the the NTRA for, but for dealing with the local population here, the the legislative delegation based in Marion County, um, it tells a major story about what horses mean to this local area. And it keeps that buy-in, you know, our, our Marion County, we talk about our culture, our heritage is based on the horse here. And it keeps even the general population here in Marion County keyed up and well-versed on how important the horses are to the local area. It may not work for some states, but in our state, we get a double benefit by being able to talk about not only the impact statewide, but the impact on a specific county that is the probably the leading agricultural county in the state. And as we know, Florida is also a top three agriculture state. Not only is it a top three horse state. So those type of things are very important. Great. Hey, you know, you hit on something earlier and I'm just going to kind of loop back to it, Sure. Uh, which is um, right now there's been so much uh, concern about green space and climate change and environmental sustainability that you're really singing the song um, about how much green space uh, our industry uh, creates, especially around Marion County, um, I can see that that would be um, appealing to people who want to move there and live in that area because of all the green space, even if they're not horsey people. Um, I can see a lot of reasons that Marion County could be a drawing card to, to create that engine within the engine. Absolutely. Because we have a region of the county already carved out as the farmland protection area. It could really lets us focus much concentration on how important. I mean, that's at least a third of the county in scope and size of how important it is to keep that area. Uh, even if you're not a horse lover, if you 
want to live in Florida or live here in Marion County so that you you have some space, you have some you have some wildlife, you have some tranquility. It's very important here. Plus, you know, a lot of um, environmental uh, passionate people in the area and so forth. So it's a it it it, it 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 works it works well together from a quality of life standpoint. And then also as at at your conference this past year, Julie, we, we kind of just scratch the surface and I've been talking to more people is it's harder to quantify and we're getting off topic a little bit, but let's not forget there is a huge social uh, impact about the horses in terms of what they do to the quality of life, how they do to people going through uh, therapies and rehabilitations, and all those things. And I know we're capturing those now in some of these other facilities, but just the general impact on the community, uh, there's much more than economics to what good horses or what good agriculture does. There's just, there's just so many things. Of course, I'm a little biased having been <laughs> in it all my life, but I, I try to think I'm still pretty, uh, you know, trying to be pretty factual on things. I don't remember who to give credit to this quote to, but I, I clearly remember always believing the outside of the horse is good for the inside of man. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it, it, and boy, I, I threw that out there on LinkedIn one time and you'll get everybody telling you, as you know, it, in most recent times, Ronald Reagan said it, but it was originally a Winston Churchill uh, saying, and the folks across the pond reached out to me real quick on social media <laughs> and uh, walked me through that. And so, uh, but it is, it's a great saying. And I, and I think I, all of us on this screen and many more, I mean, we believe that it's not just a saying, I think we believe it, we feel it. Yeah. And, you know, we've been really concentrating, and then I'm going to wrap up here. We've been concentrating a lot on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as I get more and more into working with uh, organizations that deal with underrepresented communities or uh, children in, in urban settings uh, who aren't exposed to agriculture, um, I hear these wonderful stories, Lonnie, about how great horses have been for those kids and all the things that they teach them, not just physically or emotionally or whatever, but leadership skills and all mm -hmm. these other benefits that, that they get out of that relationship with oh. the horse. So I think you're, you're right on target there. As you, as you know, it was fairly unique when it started in the country and we still are the primary funder. We used to be the manager and uh, sole funder of a Lowell Correctional Institute for Women um, here in Marion County. Mm -hmm. And that's an example of what you're talking about, Julie, is these are um, women who deserve a second chance. In fact, it's called Second Chance Farm oftentimes, uh, but are, have to um, spend some time um, in a in an environment. They call them residents in a controlled environment. And part of their rehabilitation, if they qualify, is to work with old retired horses, many of them Florida superstars. And it is an emotional experience no matter how many times you go there. To not only see these horses being loved and doing things like they've never done before, pulling little carts and and just getting babied, and to see uh, these women uh, and hear their testimonials on how horses changed their lives and gave them hope, I think that's just a microcosm of so many other things that are going on with horses out there. And uh, aren't we all lucky to have had them in our lives like we have? I can't imagine being in a life without horses. Very well, true. Thanks for your time today. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you need to reach out to Lonnie, look in the show notes and we're going to have his contact information in there. And I'm sure he'd be happy to talk to you some more and you can pick his brain about all these ideas that we've been we've been batting around. So thanks, Lonnie. Thanks, thanks for spending Lonnie. the time with me. And uh, again, the Horse Council does so much good for this industry. We all need to support you. And thank you again for undertaking the economic impact study. Turn your love of horses into savings with equine discounts through the NTRA. Purchase through equine discounts and receive great savings on well-known brands like John Deere, Sherwin-Williams, Big Ass Fans, Farmers Insurance, and Office Depot. Join thousands of other equine members and support companies that give back to the industry we all love. Call 866-678-4289 or visit equinediscounts.com to start saving today. So our second uh, round of interviews for this uh, episode um, involves some folks from the big state of New York. 
And so I'm delighted that we have Dr. Corinne Bump. She is a passionate educator and a change agent with a career trajectory that includes 28 years as a professor in equine studies and business management at Casanova College and four years as the executive director within the Cornell Cooperative Extension uh, System. She's a member of Extension Horses um, and their team and an impact collaborative facilitator with Extensions and as a small business owner. And she and her husband, Tim, um, have launched several initiatives, including the National Association of Equine Affiliated Academics, which is a nonprofit uh, organization, uh, Equine um, Academics, and the Equine Education Network. Um, the World of Horse exhibit at the New York State Fair and Saddle Up New York um, are also endeavors that they have taken on. Uh, she is a frequent presenter on topics such as equine education and equine behavior and welfare and small business development. And she is uh, originally a graduate degree from the University of Illinois and then the University at Albany. And so we're delighted to have Corinne. But in addition to Corinne, we have Sally with us today. So Megan, do um, do Sally's intro. Yeah, Dr. Sally Lynch is located on Long Island and operates a 501c3 organization that was created over 20 years ago to restore and operate the historic waterfront Oldfield Farm, which was formerly known as the legendary North Shore Horseshoe Grounds that was built in the early 1930s. In past several years, Dr. Lynch encountered some politically driven decision-making that pressures that has been pressuring her and was looking to have for something to have an impact on the ability to have a clear voice for equestrians. So she and a colleague were working and looking for a way to access the extent and a census of the population of horses on Long Island and the economic impact that they have, which has driven her to work with us with the American Horse Council and our equine economic impact survey. So we're really excited to hear what Dr. Bump and Dr. Lynch both have to say today. So listeners, we're so excited. Uh, this episode is about the National Economic Impact Study for the U.S. horse industry. We've got some great guests. And with us right now are two representatives uh, from the state of New York and also for the Long Island study that we're doing. So welcome, Corinne. Welcome, Sally. We're happy to have you. Thanks for finding time on your busy schedules to talk about this. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So, Sally, I'm going to start with you because the Long Island study is new. This is what I call a community study. So we're we're narrowing down the exact island <laughs> um, and trying to really um, understand the economic impact and the population of horses and everything is that that is surrounding the industry on the island itself. So why is the economic impact study so important to you specifically, Sally? What are you trying to accomplish with uh, us doing the study this time? Well, I grew up as a rider on Long Island, and Long Island has a long legacy in equestrian history. Um, but we're also an island, a finite island that's just outside of New York City. So our uh, pressures from being around a big, highly populated city are felt quite profoundly here. And growing up on Long Island, I saw many places disappear to development and the price of land is high. Um, but at the same time, the price is supported by the open space and bucolic nature of many places that are still present on this island. And so we really strive to protect those, keep our horse places healthy, make our officials understand um, what this industry contributes to the island, whether it be on an economic basis or an open space basis or on a personal basis in however you might participate in this venue. It also occurs to me, Sally, that, you know, when people go to um, competitions or horse shows or various uh, horse events, there's lots of hospitality dollars um, associated with that. Are you in anticipating when we see the results of this, that we're going to see that um, evident when we look at the numbers for Long Island, that people flock to the island to do some of those kinds of uh, activities? 
I hope so. We just concluded the Hampton Classic, which is a huge draw for the general public, and they enjoy it in so many different ways. Um, in terms of other venues, we've got racing, we've got world-class polo. Um, that also attracts a strong spectator population. Um, in 1997, there was a Long Island Business News article that stated the equestrian industry is a sleeper industry on Long Island and has a pronounced economic contribution to our general economy. Well, I'm, I'm really going to be curious. Um, so later on in the podcast, we're going to be interviewing some folks from Florida and from Texas, big horse states, um, but they also have those little micro uh, areas like you do, like for Florida, we're going to do Marion County because that's really a, a large uh, horse destination for them in Florida. So I'm really going to be interested to see what comes from Long Island this time around. Uh, is there anything specific, any particular data point that you really want to pin down? Not just horse population, jobs. Is there some other things that you want to find out from this study? Of course, all the um, direct and indirect um, economic impact benefits will be very helpful to know. Um, so many of the officials aren't around large animals and aren't around horses because our island is congested. Um, and yet they're also quite surprised to learn how many different establishments there are, um, how many different services there are. And so having this, this economic um, data will really help us. Wow. Wow. I'm excited. So Corinne, um, I'm going to segue to you because I pulled the numbers from the last economic impact study in New York. And what we learned then was that there was 154,000 horses in New York. I calculated it to be roughly three horses per square mile, which is an amazing number to me. Yep. Um, 42,000 jobs um, contributed $5.3 billion to the um, New York economy annually. Um, 47 rescues, five universities with equine programs, some some fascinating statistics there. So what what are you anticipating seeing this time for the state of New York? Yeah, good question. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know, right? That's right. <laughs> um, obviously, COVID, right? We, we know that uh, uh, all kinds of commodities and certainly agriculture as well, um, that's had an impact. Uh, on the flip side, what we heard, you know, through the scuttlebutt and grapevine kind of thing was that some more people got involved with horses um, in New York and the horse industry during COVID and, and really, um, you know, so that could potentially be a growth area. So my interest is, you know, longitudinally, you know, and through the Saddle Up New York um, group, we've combined historically the past studies. So I'm really looking forward to taking a look at um, the changes that have occurred uh, ov over that time period. And those will be you know, really important talking points uh, as well. Yeah, I'm 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 looking for that trend line this time myself, yeah. <laughs> Corinne. I want to I want to see what that's going to look like. We did hear anecdotally throughout um, the pandemic um, that a lot of people really got out and started doing a lot more riding. We saw adoptions go up. I mean, horse prices are really strong right now, so there's a lot of demand. Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely the case. So you know, the the horse industry, we we talk about this that um, while we often think about the horse industry, you know, different than cattle industry or some other livestock industries because of the um, different ways we use horses. That discretionary dollar and how horse people have chosen to continue to spend and invest and have horses in their life, even with the economic downturns, you know, really says a lot about the passion of horses and the horse industry. Um, and so these data points also help us tell that story. So I have a, a really interesting statistic for both of you. I did this just for fun. The Bureau of Economic Analysis, the BEA, runs a lot of economic impact studies, and they recently completed one for outdoor recreation, which yeah. includes hiking, yeah. biking, boating camp, and all those folks. Um, our last study said the U.S. equine industry generated $122 billion in annual contribution, um, and I discovered that that is more than boating, Fishing and RVing combined. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, that's so important. You know, we know these, the value of these numbers to our stakeholders, elected officials, whether it's local, um, state or nationally, these numbers are critical for telling the story. As Sally uh, alluded, the horse industry can be kind of a hidden industry. People don't realize all the things that go involved, that are involved with it. But when I sit and talk with stakeholders and you know, and say just in New York, it's 5.3 billion with a B. They're like, wait a second here. Can you say that again? That's just in New York. And I appreciate the numbers that you listed off. I, I often think about it too as, well, what if the person still says, oh, you know, I don't really, horses don't interest me. Then you go to the job factor, right? You go to the, the um, you know, the the number of jobs the, for the employment. But the other piece that I continue to draw to as well is the uh, acres of land we preserve. So in New York, I've had any number of folks go, wait a second, New York has preserved 1.3 million acres of land through the horse industry. So even if you're not necessarily that interested in horses, most people are interested in green space, right? Uh, So the dollars, the jobs, but also the green space, all of these things that we capture through this data are so important to telling the story of why horses and the horse industry matters. You are spot on. Thank you. You're singing my song. Hey, um, <laughs> so this is my this is my shout out. Um, you know, the study is being conducted through the end of September. So we're in the final push to get responses to the survey. Um, total nationwide, we've had about 15,000 responses. We're really shooting for about 20,000. So we got 5,000 to go. Um, but I look at New York and you guys aren't far from your target. You've got about a thousand responses. Um, and we're looking for hopefully 20, 1,200 responses uh, for you guys. What are some ways that you have tried to persuade people to fill out the survey? Well, I'll I'll tackle that from a state and then let Sally uh, kick in on, uh, on the Long Island area. Um, from the state perspective, we've done a um, heavy social media campaign. There's there's no doubt about that through um, our Saddle Up New York industry partners um, and through uh, people that contributed to you know the the funds to be able to have the study. So we really use social media a lot. We have done um, press releases, we've gone to events, you know those kind of talking points. And probably the the biggest talking point that I've used uh, to get people to really think about it is that if if we as an industry, if you as an individual in the industry are not willing to take, 15 you know minutes to take the survey then why should we expect elected officials to look at us and spend the time to care about us that that you have to participate um, and so really trying to hone you know that message in uh, has been has been pretty important well I can um, can add to that because um, being based in Washington DC and going in congressional offices up here one of the first things we do when we walk into for example, Tonko's office, is we talk about those statistics, those um, indicators about how robust the um, industry is in a particular state and um, get their attention. Um, those number of owners um, are our constituents, they're voters. <laughs> so that really gets there. That's that really gets them thinking about who their audience is. So I, I'm totally with you. Sally, what are some of the things you guys have done in Long Island? Because this one's new for you. So you've probably had a, a little more of a hurdle to jump over to convince yes. people to do it. <laughs> and certainly we've learned through this process new things we try for the next survey. Um, but Karen had this wonderful idea of doing a palm card. And we had a little two-sided card that people could take with them with QR codes for the various surveys. And we've gone to a variety of horse shows and had them out at tack shops um, and just talking to people. Since I run a Suffolk County Parkland equine facility, um, that sort of provides a great venue for us to talk to people. So at a horse show in our grandstand, I'll go up and down the boxes and and speak to people about the survey, make them comfortable with it, that it is anonymous and um, your responses are private. And I think we've had some good uptake there, which has been encouraging to me. And we've also, you know, as I mentioned before, discovered new ways we 
we might go about it. We've done some Zoom meetings. We attempted to do some events, but our rainy Long Island summer <laughs> uh, forced us to cancel, unfortunately. But we would do that again in the future as well. Yeah. Well, just so our listeners know, there are lots of different surveys this time around to get at what you're saying, Sally, because of the breadth and depth of our industry. We have the, the horse owner survey, which is our bread and butter, if you will. We have the supplier survey, which is intended for people who don't own horses, but contribute to the to the industry. But then we have competition organizer surveys. We have rescue surveys. We have equine assisted services facility surveys. We're doing academia. We're doing all of the tracks. We're doing manufacturers. We're doing mounted units, like mounted police units. We're doing carriage operators. And I'm even doing polo this time, which we didn't do last uh, 2017 study at all. Um, So we've got lots and lots of different data points that we're collecting this time around, hoping to get at all of those different things that you're talking about that go on on the island and across the country that we're, are sort of hidden sometimes because people who are playing necessarily playing polo don't think about uh, doing a, a horse owner survey. <laughs> yeah. and, and if I can just add one thing, Julie, to that, you know, there, there's, um, you know, we get to the survey overload, right? There's so much information, mm-hmm. so many things coming at us. And the other piece that I'd like to encourage and, and maybe even challenge listeners to is that it comes to all of us to encourage everyone to take the survey. And there can be a tendency to say, well, American Horse Council is doing this, they're pushing it out, or this person is, or this group is. But the difference between you sending out or Sally sending it out or me sending it out is that when we send it out, people that know us may react and respond. But when that person who receives it then sends it out, they're reaching another audience. And so in this last push, it's so critical that everybody is encouraging their communities, their friends, their colleagues, their horse show network, their business suppliers to do it. It takes all of us to get this done. Yeah, so well said, well said. I will yeah. also add <clears throat> that it's so interesting to me that when people tell me they're hesitant to take the survey, um, I say, you know, if you want a new show ground facility or you need improvements to a facility, um, if if we need the U.S. Department of Agriculture or the state departments of agriculture to continue to provide all kinds of um, disease mitigation or other programs for our industry, we have to have this data. This is what right. what motivates them to, to do the things that we need them to do. Right. And, and just to put a, a, an additional point on that, when they get that data, I also have had them ask, well, how many people did the survey? And so if, again, if, if we want those things, then everyone needs to be taking the survey so that those numbers are strong enough that it looks like we are, in fact, coordinating our efforts, working together as an industry. That just has to happen. I so agree. Hey, so I'm going to close with this. Um, so the listeners re- remember, um, not only this time are we asking you to take a survey, uh, we're incenting you to take a survey. We are offering some fantastic prizes this time around, thanks to some of our great sponsors. So uh, we are um, giving away uh, a John Deere piece of equipment, which is a Z-Track mower. It's valued at $7,500. So that's our big grand prize, if you will. We have one year of Neutrina feed for a horse. Um, so we're very happy that Cargill and Neutrina donated that. Uh, Purina likewise offered one year of feed for one horse. So thank you to them. Um, we have uh, Cargill also offered up for uh, someone uh, a countertop fridge, which holds 40 cans or bottles, which is valued at $350. So a nice little thing to go in your in your tack room if you, if you uh, win that. Uh, and then Texas A&M's um, AgriLife Equine Reproductive Management program offered us two online courses uh, to give away. Um, so that's those are great things there. And then we have a whole host of gift certificates from Trafalgar Square Books. And even if you get to the end of the survey and you don't win any of these prizes, you can take advantage of Trafalgar Square's discount coupon uh, to buy some books and, um, and get a, a great deal. Um, I think Trafalgar Square's um, offer for the discounts is going to go on for a little longer than the survey itself because we wanted people to be able to do some Christmas shopping. <laughs> so we've got some great stuff going on there. Uh, any any closing remarks, ladies? I so appreciate your time. I just want to yes. thank everyone who helped as uh, Karen had outlined. You know, it, it takes 
so many people to distribute the information and having that personal connection helps and social media is a great way to start, but there's a lot of boots on the ground that need to get around. Um, and we're grateful for everyone who has taken the survey and hope they'll tell more friends. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll just add on to that, that the New York State survey would not have been possible without a real grassroots effort from industry supporters to create the funding. We did not have, uh, nor did Long Island have any funding mechanism for this, and we were quite late to the game. So if it were not for um, folks like the New York Thoroughbred um, breeding found thoroughbred breeding development fund, New York thoroughbred breeders, Blue Chip Farm, Oldfield Farm, Cornell, um, Farm Bureau, Triple Crown, John and Beasy Madden, um, New York Horse Council, Kent Nutrition. Um, if and we had a host of people that came through the for, through the GoFundMe, and uh, you know the planning for these things and being able to get the funding. We can't forget how expensive these. Uh, surveys are and how critical it is to uh, thank and acknowledge the folks that are helping make this happen. Great. Takes a village. Takes a village. (laughs) Thanks, ladies. I appreciate it. It's time. The 2023 Equine Economic Impact Study is now live. Help the horse industry by doing your part in participating. Help fight for green space and public lands help pinpoint areas of growth in the industry to foster while identifying the gaps that need attention. Help strengthen and protect America's horse industry for years to come. Participate now in the 2023 American Horse Council's Economic Impact Study through September 29th. So we've talked to to people from New York and from Florida. And now we're going to go to the big state of Texas. Dr. Chelsea Huseman is an assistant professor and extension horse specialist in the Department of Animal Science at Texas A&M University. Dr. Huseman serves the state of Texas by disseminating equine education developed through research. She provides leadership for field and campus faculty, departmental and extension personnel in the development, implementation, and evaluation of extension education programs relevant to the horse. Her programs attract state, national, and international audiences. She leads a variety of impactful equine programs for youth and adults, such as the Texas A&M Equine Reproductive Management Short Course, the Texas A&M Summer Horsemanship School Program, and the Texas 4-H Homes for Horses. Dr. Huseman became involved with the American Horse Council when she realized Texas did not have current economic impact data for its horse industry. Kind of crazy if you think about it. She rallied Texas industry partners to secure Texas data from the ongoing economic impact study, which will secure informational power to support an equine industry that is a significant contributor to Texas' economy. For her efforts and impact in the state, Dr. Huseman was awarded the American Horse Council's Venice Award in 2023 this year. So, Dr. Huseman, thank you so much for joining us, and I am so glad to hear, you know, how you know, Texas, we already are thinking, you know, cowboys and cowboys ride horses. And it's, you know, crazy to think that we, you know, that there isn't a, isn't that impact survey for you guys already. So for you to be um, hosting it is great. And I do have to say real quick that if you do participate in the survey, you are eligible to win a numerous a numerous amount of prizes and one of the prizes is a free subscription and into the texas a&m equine reproductive management short course is that correct dr huseman that's right we'll give away i think two free registrations with some lucky winners from completing those surveys yeah and that's awesome i mean that's i mean free education right there and just for taking about 10 15 minutes to fill it out so thank you so much for Give, offering that to us and everything. and um, But Dr. Huseman, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Absolutely. I'm really glad to uh, be a part of this discussion and talk a little bit about how this is going to impact Texas. 
Well, so Chelsea, um, I'm going to jump in and say, of course, I did my little research. Looking back at the <laughs> last study, I'm like, hmm, okay, Texas um, is one of our top three states in horse population. 767,000 horses uh, are mm-hmm. in Texas and 52,000 jobs in the equine industry in Texas. 11 billion, with a B, is annually contributed to Texas's uh, economy. Um, so Texas is 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 a powerhouse uh in the in the equine industry. Um so tell me what what I know you want to see this data, but what tools or what techniques have you used to try to convince people in Texas that this is important and they need to do this survey? <laughs> well, I've definitely utilized a lot of connections um in the state, whether that be through academia, so the university setting. Um, we have quite a few equine science programs here in the state of Texas. So those connections have definitely helped me expand the reach. Um, Texas is huge. So, you know, to get all the way from the panhandle down to back down is at least 12 plus hours. So there's a lot of people to reach and I have to utilize those connections. Um, Our industry groups as well, our associations and industry professionals have been really valuable in helping get the word out. And then obviously using some of our more low hanging fruit, like our social media and our media presence through Texas A&M to get people excited um, and really get people in the know. Um, It's amazing how many people you encounter that don't even realize that this is out there and that their participation is vital to its success. Yeah. What are you personally hoping? What's the one nugget of information you're hoping you're going to get out of the study for Texas? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, this data... um, was last done for us in 2007. So updated statistics is really going to be valuable for, you know, groups like our lawmakers and our stakeholders, um, certainly our students and industry professionals, and then our horse owners alike. And so having that information is going to help all of these groups. It's it's informational power, like Megan had said. And um, and I love how Lonnie put it that it's a it's us telling our story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as two million horse owners in the U.S., we know what it's like to be a part of horses. We know the impact that they can make. Um, but people outside of agriculture or outside of direct engagement with horses don't necessarily know what those benefits are. Um, I love um, uh, something that I picked off of Craig Huffines, who's our new director for the equine uh, or the Institute for Equine Sciences at Texas A&M, that the horse is a gateway to agriculture. And if you think about that, you definitely know, true. Oh, mm-hmm. and I really like that quote, because if you think about people exploring agriculture for the first time, it's usually through the way of the horse. I mean, they're easy to like and easy mm-hmm. to enjoy. They're obviously very beautiful and so um, for a lot of us, you know, we we descend from agriculture, right? Like that really, if we look back far enough in our roots, we come from that Western type culture. And so to re-engage with agriculture is kind of like getting back to your roots. And most people get down that path through the horse. Um, a, a great example I think of, and this is probably maybe the story for a lot of people who are involved with horses now is you know, you, you want to get part of, do you go to a rodeo or something, you say, that looks fun. Let's get involved with horses. And you might start taking lessons at a barn. And then you realize, you know, I want to own a horse. So then you're buying a few acres and you buy that horse. And then you realize, you know, um, the therapeutic and life quality aspects that come with being outside and working with animals. And pretty soon you're maybe adding a few cows, you might buy a goat, and then suddenly you're in, you're, you're completely immersed <laughs> and it snowballs. Um, So I really do like to think of them as the gateway, but we're already in, you know, all of us who are looking at this survey, but really the results of this survey helps us tell that story to the people who aren't in and have the potential to also uh, receive those benefits by, by being involved with horses. So Chelsea, you said something there that triggered a thought in my head, Uh, especially for Texas. Yellowstone has been like, the real yes. rigor. <laughs> it's amazing to me. The people who got, um, who watched Yellowstone and said, that is so cool. I want to go do that. I think yeah. professional rodeo cowboys, I think reigning horse, um, reigning cow horses, all of those um, sectors of our industry have really boomed since Yellowstone came out. So I'm going to be really curious to see from your 2007 till now, 
how much of a, a Yellowstone factor, if you will, there there's going to be. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a, it's an attraction to the lifestyle, right? There's a lot of uh, positives to that kind of lifestyle and that culture. And like I said, I think it takes us back to our roots in a lot of ways. And so there's definitely been that factor for sure. So I'm going to ask your Texas residents and, and horse owners to be especially uh, diligent about doing the survey because we are also doing a community study in Texas. It's for Jacksboro, Texas. And I'm not really good with my geography of Texas. I think it's not far outside of Fort Worth. So right. am, I, am yep. I close, Chelsea? Yep, and you're correct. they want to see if the economic impact study can prove that there's the viability, the feasibility to building a new um, venue there, uh, you know, mm-hmm. sh- new showgrounds, some new opportunities, that kind of thing. So if you live in Texas and you're interested in seeing some new uh, show facilities and that kind of thing, the economic impact study is going to be the driver to help make that decision. So everybody in Texas, be sure to fill out the survey. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're right up there in the heart of horse country. And we host so many of those large horse events in Texas that, we really do have a lot of opportunities for um, continued venue development to facilitate a lot of those um, opportunities showing and participating and competing with horses. So I have one more question and then I'm going to let Megan jump in. Sorry, Megan, <laughs> didn't mean to monopolize Chelsea here. But as an educator, what are you going to do with the data with your students? How are you going to use the data in the classroom? I'm just curious. Oh, gosh. Well, there's so many um opportunities in the academic setting that this data is going to be very valuable. Um, you know, in in the academic setting, we look at research extension and teaching kind of as the pillars of what we do. And from a research standpoint, I know that this data is going to be really supplemental to all the additional research that comes out of um, higher education. Um, a specific example on my end, I did some research in collaboration with Louisiana State University back during um, COVID, kind of in the midst of all that, looking at how the quarantine restrictions um, kept people from showing and the economic impact of that on the industry. And at that time, man, I really needed some updated industry numbers um, from a study like this. And that really kind of opened my eyes at that time why we didn't have that in Texas, and that was a problem. And so, really, it's going to help um, the research setting with having that extra data. Um, this data is also going to be really valuable for departments within colleges to uh, kind of drive and direct their curriculum. So, the areas in the industry where students are going to be trained and prepared for, um, this is really going to help in kind of developing that curriculum and the focus that needs to happen during that. And whether that's a four or six years of training that those students are going to go through. And then finally, I think it's going to be really valuable to student career preparation preparation because they're going to uh, be able to look at those statistics and see, you know, where is some of the strong areas if I specifically want to be in this state, Texas, or if I want to go nationally, you know, where are some places that I want to start preparing to work and um, could be of value there. And always, again, telling our story that there, this is a strong industry. It's a strong community uh, contributor to agriculture, and um, it's a, a career path worth pursuing. Yeah, so de- true. Definitely, I, I do a lot of public speaking um, in capstone classes at universities and the National Collegiate Horsemen's Association and those kinds of groups. And those students are always asking me, Chelsea, about career paths and what options are, mm-hmm. and you know what they're going to do. And um, we're having a veterinary shortage right now, so listeners. Dial back in next month because we're going to hear all about that from AAEP and U.S. Department of Agriculture about veterinary loan assistance and very various things along those uh, lines. Um, but I do think you're right. I think this will help paint a picture for those students who are thinking about, okay, where where is the sweet spot for me? Where do I go from here? And not only where in the in the country geographically can I go for a career, but what career options are there for me if I'm passionate about horses? You know, do I go into being a veterinarian? If I don't want to be a veterinarian, then what are my choices? You know, how do I leverage this this passion I have and this degree I have? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. So, but um, thank you again. Um, 
Chelsea, for spending your time with us. And again, thank you for the donation of the um, f- the sign-on for the Texas A&M Equine Reproductive Management Short Course. And that is one of the many prizes, including a new John Deere lawnmower and a year of grain from Neutrina and Purina. Um, so thank you guys so much for for that donation. And thank you for your time, Chelsea. We appreciate it. Of course. Great to be with you all today. We'll have more information about um, the Texas A&M Equine Reproductive Management Short Course in our show notes. And if you need to contact Dr. Huseman for anything, we'll have her information there in the show notes as well. Thanks so much, Chelsea. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this helped explain the mission of the American Horse Council's Equine Economic Impact Survey, as well as spurred some of you to fill out this anonymous online survey. You will find the survey for horse owners on the American Horse Council's website at horsecouncil.org slash economic dash impact dash survey. The survey ends September 29th, so you need to hurry up and get online and make sure that you are qualified for one of those awesome prizes. Great. Thanks, Megan. And I just want to add to what you said that um, everybody always asks me, so when will the results be made public? Um, So we're looking to probably announce the results of the study in uh, mid-November. That's our target. So look for for a big announcement about that. Uh, We invite you to join the American Horse Council and get subscribed to our monthly newsletter, which shares the latest in legislative and regulatory happenings, both at the federal and the state level, um, as well as more information um, that horse owners like you just really need to know about overall horse welfare and and a number of other topics. Mm Mm-hmm. We encourage you to follow the American Horse Council on social media and look into becoming a member to help support your beloved industry locally and nationally. You can subscribe to Horses in the Morning on any podcast player and find all the shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And as we like to say, we are hashtag here for horses at the American Horse Council.